I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I'm talking to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. With the arts so much in the news at the moment, I am joined today by one guest who is a very inspiring personal story. Having studied a Masters of Engineering at University of Portsmouth and gone on to a successful career in engineering, Henry Falzon took a U-turn in his career. Since then, Henry's gone on to be a very successful artist, bringing Maltese landscapes to life and much, much more. Also a keen off-roader, a husband, a father, Henry is as every bit as colourful as the pictures he creates. Welcome, Henry! Thank you very much. Thank you like you. that one? Uh, yes, it was <laughs> quite powerful. It's a good welcome, isn't it? Yes, it is a good welcome. <laughs> well, now you have to live up to this. I will, I will. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> no disappointments. I am so glad that you're with me. We've had a, and we'll come to this in a minute, but we've had a very uh, personal experience between uh, us, uh, you as an artist and me as a recipient of your artwork recently. Um, and I knew that I wanted to have you on, on the interview. I'm thrilled that you can be here. But first of all, when we spoke to you, and I've spoken to you before, when I spoke to you first, you fascinated me by the fact that you took a complete career U-turn. Yes. I, I mean, I'm speechless about this, <laughs> but what led the decision to take a successful engineering career and then gamble it on being an artist, a yes, full-time artist? That's true. So what happened is that I was into art, doodling and sketching f since always. I thought that engineering was sort of the serious profession which was going to put bread on the table. So I followed, I followed that, that path. And it's what kind of engineering are we talking about here? Um, I studied electronic engineering and uh, later I was into manufacturing engineering. My master's degree in, with Portsmouth was related to manufacturing engineering. I was in, in, in a factory um, supervising um, engineering processes, so I was into that. This is very technical. Before. Very, very technical. I love it, and um, till today I keep a, a small portion of my engineering practice, but now it's 90% art and 10% engineering. And uh, I never thought that I would be able to ditch the 9 to 5 engineering thing, you know, and, and go into art. But I believed in it, and, and I said, this is what I'm going to do. And, and uh, gradually, with some raised eyebrows from my wife and some encouragement as well, <laughs> I thank her from here that she supported me. And, and uh, here but let we me are. go a little bit deeper into that because you talked about the fact you loved doodling, you loved sketching. So, at which point, and, and if you don't mind me asking, how old were you when you said, I've had an engineering degree, I've got a master's of engineering, you just mentioned yourself, you were managing engineering you you obviously had a very good career there so how old were you and, and how did that thought process come about where well, you said I'm gonna take a risk okay I graduated with a master's in 2010 and um, then I went on to manage a company with, with obviously with my engineering background but in the evenings and on the weekends I was I started to paint well actually I started in the 90s with photography that's another chapter which is very important in my life. I was shooting black and white film, 
It was the last decade of film before digital came say, in. This is film, raw film that needs to be processed in a studio. In a dark room with smelly chemicals, that kind of thing, you know. So that was that was the kickstart of, of you know the, the arousal of my, my art ambition. But I never thought I never thought that wow I could make something out of this. So it was always a small flame burning in the background, you know, and uh, sort of engineering was always that thing, you know, uh, the space devils, space devils. I always kept the thing ticking, you know. I was drawing and doodling, and I spent some years um, doing plein air painting outside with a group of friends. They are all around, and I'm friends with them. And we used to go out on Saturdays religiously, rain or shine, and paint out on location with an easel. And people looking at you, know, like you know, you're mad, you know. So <laughs> I'm an artist. I'm, I'm, I'm. I have the license to be a bit, you know, of of the hook. So unhinged. Um, so <laughs> you said it. <laughs> <laughs> After this phase of uh, doing planar work. I said, I want to go in the studio and do some detailed work, you know. And that's when I took up pastels, and that's when things sort of took off in a good direction. But you, you talk about you, you decided to go to the studio. You had dedicated a space in your house, or, or you had a studio that you were going to? I have one room for myself. It's nothing much, you know, 10 feet by 10 feet. And all the magic happens there. Or the magic happens in your head. You just need some space to take it out. You know, it's it's you don't you don't need much to be an artist. You don't need much. So you've gone from doing this as a as a pastime, as a as a fun thing, as recreational. You've gone into pastels, and we're going to come to the pastels in a second. But how did you then make the leap to say I'm dedicated enough to be able to drop the engineering? I went self-employed with my engineering work. So I I was controlling the hours and I started sliding down the button of engineering and increasing the, the one for art. Did the wife yeah, so. notice? <laughs> In the beginning, no. And then there was a mutiny. So, but <laughs> it was resolved amicably. So it's okay. So you started increasing just the art that well, way? Well, art started pushing up itself. And there's only 24 hours. So if you push up, you know, like the balance. If, you, if something's going up, the other, the other thing has to come down. And because I was self-employed in engineering, and I, I still do it, and I tell you why, uh, I, I, was, I was quieting down the engineering side. I could have gone bigger. I could have, you know, got employees with me on engineering. I could have snowballed into an engineering firm, but I love it. I, I, I like what I do, you know? It's like being retired at, at 48, <laughs> at 47. That's <sorry>. nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so the, the engineering slid down, and you just mentioned that you keep some of that engineering, or you said you'd tell me why. Yes, doing art full-time, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. You're always pressure, pressuring your, your, your mind to be creative and... and uh, Putting new ideas, that can be challenging. And a lot of artists suffer from, from these issues. Um, that's another thing. Uh, um, there's a high incidence of mental health issues with artists. So I thought that one of the healthiest ways to sort of survive in this environment, which isn't easy, art isn't easy to be uh, full-time, 
um, is to keep some real um, real work going on. So I'm keeping um, a portion of engineering work. I, I will keep that. But isn't it interesting? And I'm going to jump right in here because you've just said something that relates to what is being said in the news at the moment. You said, I'm going to keep my foot in some real work. Yes. Because there is the perception that art and the arts are not real. That they are just, as Chris Dingley said on the show a couple of weeks ago, they're just nice. <laughs> yes, but um, even even the toughest guy, even the biggest, you know, the, the, the burliest man, after a day's work pouring concrete and doing the hero thing, what our society con considers as the macho, you know, the hardcore business, hurrah, you know, that guy goes home, switches on his TV, and he wants to see a film, he wants to hear music, he wants to see something on his wall, and that's all done by artists. He has to melt down and unwind in front of an artist or his work. I'm so with you. you I'm, I'm with, it's a discussion that I had with Chris, and we qualified that the world would be ugly without creativity. And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But before we get there, I'm going to touch on something else you said about mental health. Yes. Because you also mentioned that artists and creatives can be affected and are often affected by mental health. So before we go any further, because I've got so many questions for you, qualify that. Tell, tell me why. Yes, there is, there is um, it's, it's nothing new. There's a high incidence of, of artists which suffered or do suffer. They could be film, film artists, they could be musicians, they could be... I think the reason is, I haven't studied it scientifically, but artists are sensitive people. And they, they carry on their shoulder or, or their sort of their perception a lot of weight from society. And uh, I think it wears some people down. So um, doing art full time, I, I think it's a bit, it, it exposes you to more of this pressure. So I want to keep a foot on everyone's problems, you know. <laughs> but I mean, I guess as well, if you create a painting or or a piece of art that people love it must be so wonderful and so confidence building and so reassuring and take you to a complete high but there must also be pieces of art that you create that, that nobody really appreciates only because we can't be 100% all the time yes of course it's 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 difficult to beat your 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 personal best each and every and every time you do a painting. In fact, I don't even try. You know, sometimes things happen to be, you know, pushing the boundary, and and many other times it's just, you know, run of the mill if you want to say it so. But yes, I'm I'm excited because I'm the first person to see my own art. So so, I'm I'm my own customer. I love what I do, and I, when I when I do something, I say, but did I do this? You know, it's, it's, is this me? <laughs> did really? I do? Yes, yes, it happens to me. Yes. Happens to me because you surprise yourself. Yes, um, on on occasions I I honestly and sincerely tell you that I surprise myself. Yes, I look down at and say, "Ah, oh, this is what I did." You know, I I wasn't expecting this because you assemble it from many bits of thought. I don't have the gift of some artists do somehow project in their head a kind of finished view. And what they do is they execute that kind of vision. Some have this photographic memory. I, I don't have it. So 
when I'm, when I'm doing this kind of work, this kind of art, um, I don't know exactly. I have some idea where the direction is going, but, but only when it's done, I say, oh, wow, I did this, you know? I, I didn't expect it to go in this specific place, you know? So, so it's, it's, it keeps me excited and, and keeps me, you know, looking for more, like a bee hopping from this flower and then I go to another flower, so. I want to come back to your processes in just a second. Yes. But before we get there, I want to ask you about the materials that you use. You mentioned before uh, oil paint. You've mentioned scribbling, doodling, drawing. But what you now are well known for is pastel work, which is not the same as painting. It's very distinctive and it's not widely used, but it is incredibly beautiful. I want to ask you, did you choose pastels or did pastels choose you? Well, to some degree, I think pastels chose me because um, I was never comfortable with brushes. Even in my plainer days when I did a lot of oil and acrylic paintings and even watercolors, I enjoyed it to a degree. But, you know, from, from the brain to the paper, there's the brush. So, so the signal goes from my brain to my hand, somehow to this brush, which has a life of its own, and to the paper. With pastels, there's nothing between me and the paper. It's my ideas going straight without that pesky brush in the middle, you know? No interruption, so <laughs> I, I can barge on and do whatever I want to do. That naughty brush. I mean, that would apply also to pencils. You mentioned sketching as well, because, yes. of course, you have full control of the pencil. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, very, it's a very direct part to, to express yourself. This works for me. Other artists have, have other ideas, but I think for me it's a bit, it's like that, yes. You like to be a little bit more in control. Oh, very much. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Falzon, the pastel control freak. Um, okay, so you, you, your pastels is your medium. That's what you do. And I know from a fact, because I've had an experience of this recently, you also have a size that you prefer to work to. Now, one of the things I do want to ask you is that you are very, very well known for these Maltese landscapes and they are stunningly beautiful and the pastel means that you can bring out all the colours and the depth. However, my question to you is, an awful lot of these you visualise from above. So you're looking down onto a landscape. So do you have a drone or do you have creative imagination? No, I have a drone. And um, as I said before, my background is in photography. And it has always been, and I, for the foreseeable future, it's always, it always starts with photography. So yes, I do have a drone. I take lots of images, and then I compose it maybe from two or three different images. It's rarely, I, I rarely have one image which says it all and that's it, you know? Um, it's it's a mix of ideas. Sometimes I um, steal from my own photographs and 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 add other bits and pieces from my head. So it's it's a mix of things. It's it's very rare that an image presents itself. You know that da da. That's it. You know this is. So what my process is this: I have these images. That's phase one. Phase two. Uh, there's some software work. I I like to work with Photoshop. And there's a digital phase where I do 
certain conceptual work in conjunction with my sketches and drawings. And then it stops there. Suddenly, when I have the concept sketched and mapped of what I want to do, then there's a total dissection from digital stuff, and it's all hand-drawn and hand-painted on, on the, the pastel. It's 100% by hand. So three distinct stages. That's how I work. Would you have the, the photograph as reference in front of you? It's, I mean, photography yes. is a form of art as well. Yes, it is. Uh, I... I spent 10 years, as I said, doing black and white photography. And I consider, I'm self-taught. I never went to uh, much schooling about an art. But I consider photography as my teacher. My, you know, black and white gave me so much, and I'm much obliged to photograph, and, and I love it. I wish I could do it more, but now I have to choose, you know. So I'm into pastel and, and fine arts and that kind of sense. So... Photography will be my retirement hobby, I think. Well, I was about to ask you, is, is pastels going to be it forever? Do you, do you think there'll be a point where you're like, okay, I'm going to hang I'm, up the pastels I'm, and I'm going to go back to that <clears throat> naughty paintbrush? I'm <laughs> no, the paintbrush, no, because I have two other projects coming up. So this is a bit of uh, breaking news, you know. I'm taking up two new projects. One is uh, lino cut and one is mezzo tint. They are quite obscure mediums, again, like pastel. I mean, before I did pastel and mold, cool. It was established. I'm not saying that I'm the, um, the one who established it, but I certainly helped to popularize it a bit in the last few years. So now I'm doing mezzotint. I'm, I'm gearing up to produce mezzotint. And mezzotint is what? Mezzotint is um, hand-pulled prints. You have a copper plate, which is engraved. You ink it. You wipe the ink. You nearly wipe it all. You put a piece of damp paper on it, you run it under a press, you peel the paper off, and you have these beautiful tones of black and greys on it. Is this a bit of Henry Falzon, the engineer, coming yes, back in? Yes, the, 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 the roads keep intertwining and, and, and slipping into each other. And I have a background in chemistry, which helps. So... Yes, there's a lot going on. So a lot of exciting stuff coming up for you. I want to go back just one second before we talk more about that, because you, you mentioned something before as well. We talk, let's talk about the landscape, Maltese landscapes for a second, because that's really what you have become known for, and that is your forte. Now, I always think to myself, when I look at the colours that you produce on your paintings, I think to myself, it's a really good job we're in Malta. Because you cannot deny that Malta is a stunningly beautiful and aesthetically pleasing country. Now, let's get away from you know the, the buildings and the, the you know waste and anything like that. But if you take time to go out into the country, if you go anywhere near the sea and those colours and the depth and the sunlight, do you think you could be Henry Belzon, the artist? In any other country, could you do the same thing in the UK where it's grey and um, murky? Well, I, I would like to fancy and say yes. You know, I don't know, but possibly it would be difficult because the Mediterranean light is unbeatable. I've been to northern countries, to, to Sweden, to the UK many times, and you know, Ireland. Um, the light, the quality of the light, has nothing to do with with um, the Maltese colours. So much so that I have links with um, Unison, which is a brand which makes pastel. And I'm trying to convince them to make shades which don't exist 
to serve um, countries with bright sunlight. It is that distinct. Good grief. Yes, yes. There are gaps in their, in their color schemes, which they nobody asks for, no, nobody I'm pestering them and pushing them, you know. For example, the peachy ochres and Malta have a lot of what I call peachy ochres, like the limestone. It is orangey, it is slightly pinkish, it is slightly brownish, slightly creamish. And these people, they have gaps in these shades. So, <laughs> so you're telling the pastel true. company to get their butts into gear and yes. make pastels just for you. Yes, yes. I like that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, Not just I, for me, you know. So. No, no, stick with that because I have newfound respect for you. Um, we're going to come back to that. We're going to come back to, to the, the liner cut and the new stuff that's coming up. And we're going to come back to the story that I started with of my personal experience. I want to go back to something that we started off by talking about, and that is the value of the arts. Now, Jose Herrera was in the news recently for claiming that business is not in the IQ of artists. And Malta's biggest artist lobby has accused the cultural minister of belittling artists who were left devastated by the pandemic lockdown. Now, this, go, this goes back to a question in a recent interview with Chris, as I mentioned before. Do you think that artists have been respected and supported enough during COVID? Do you think we as a country can get beyond seeing art as just nice? I think there is there's quite a lot of things which could be done to art and Malta in general without going into the merits of this particular case, especially where education comes along. Because I, I don't believe that the government should inject money into this artist or that artist. You know, money to an artist will do nothing for him. I mean, okay, it's you're serving him, you know, giving him maybe supplies or, or you know, give him a free studio somewhere to work. That's helpful. But there are far more fundamental things which we need to change in this country. And I think it starts with uh, education. The education of the arts in Malta is very poor. I would say it's dismal. And uh, it's something which, which irks me because um, I think it's the biggest failure in Malta from our independence till today. So I'm spanning decades. It's not, not something partisan. It's, it's, it's in our mindset that the arts have been put on the side. We thought that we were going to be independent from Britain and we needed, you know, muscle jobs and we needed dockyards and, and, and you know, like building and, and something sort of. We needed the muscles to, to pull ourselves from, from independence because we were very much dependent on Britain and, and its military base here. So I think the arts were left a bit behind and I think they were left behind even, even to this day. So I think sports, music, are they should be given 50% weight to the other academics, especially in primary and secondary schools. We are producing a lot of young kids which are focused in sciences and, and, and maths and physics. It's good. But the arts, they're, they're given second and third. They're relegated far down the scale. And we have a society today which reflects that. We lack the arts, the education of the arts. Arts and education make for a sensitive society, you know? A society sensitive to the environment, sensitive to the issues of today. We don't have that, because 30 years ago, it was for the kids who didn't want to do anything, I, I would like to have studied art properly. It was like that. And, and nobody did anything about it, because that was, the mindset was in that direction. 
you know, the arts are, uh, we, well, you know, it's, it's arts and nothing. But you just you know? mentioned, you mentioned the dockyard worker. You also mentioned earlier on in our interview that uh, anybody, you know, even the toughest guy is going to go home, he's going to listen to music, he's going to see a painting on, or a picture or a photograph on his wall, and he's going to watch television. We are immersed in art. I think it's more to do with the fact that we need to educate the understanding that that is art and yes. it has a value, an in imperative value. The, the artist has sort of um, a problem which, which he can do, not, do nothing about it. It's the way we consume art. If you want to consume, I don't know, a car in the sense that if you want to use a car, you have to go and buy it. It's a hard buy or rent it. You're putting out, no. If you want an apartment, you have to go and buy it or rent it. It's a big deal, you know. But to consume art, you you often have ways and means how not to pay for it. So the artist is in a big, big disadvantage. His product is often sort of consumed without the artist getting much for it, if anything at all. But this goes back to what Jose Herrera says, that business is not the IQ of the artist. Does that mean that there's some truth in what he's it's, saying? It's even more important then, because of this statement or, or this interpretation, that the artists even more, now that we have established the fact that they have such a weak spot in their department, they need even more boosting, even more propping up. So it's official that we need more help. So based on the fact that art isn't necessarily appreciated and understood and that even the cultural minister belittles the value of art and artists, when you turn around to people in a, at a dinner table or, or at a dinner party or whatever and you say that I'm a full-time artist, do you ever get people going, oh, that, oh I see, yes, that's nice? <laughs> um, it's, not, it's not a statement that I often, you know, Put, put forward to, but if people ask me, I would tell them, or I'm, I'm saying it now. So I am mostly a full-time artist, so like 80 or 90% of the day. But still, going back to this issue, especially these recent couple of days where this statement was being put forward, I don't believe that um, artists should be so much connected with, with help. If an artist wants to succeed, regardless of the difficult environment that he's in, he will find a way through. Help is useful, but it could also backfire. So, so I'm a bit, I'm a bit sort of fifty-fifty on how much an artist needs propping up externally or not. Are you I, saying I, that that artist, uh, artists are more creative when they are challenged? Yes, 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 they are. Well, when you create a comfort zone, that's very dangerous for the artist, you know. You, you, become, you become a craftsman. From an artist, you, you become a craftsman. When you assemble art, you're no longer an artist, you're a craftsman. But you're a husband and a father. You have to be able to provide for your family. Once you establish, and I'm, I'm quite mature, so once you establish your big expenses, then you can cycle along with with, with reasonable amount of money, but... If if, art, if if my art income would perish tomorrow for some reason, for some mysterious reason, um, I would go back to engineering. So there's always, I, I've always in my mind, I have that safety net, you know. I'm jumping the trapeze somehow, but I've got some safety net of going back to some other muscle skill, if you want. I want to ask you one last question. Now, I recently uh, commissioned you to, to create a painting of my 
my dog who I'd had for 13 years who passed away. And you mentioned at the time that you were reluctant to do commissions. How does that sit? Because when I walked into your house and I saw that painting, I was stunned and I cried. So you must sit somewhere between that. I've created this piece of work for somebody else, knowing that I'm doing what they told me to do, but then seeing the joy that you brought to me and you bring to me every single day when I see that painting. Well, commissioned work, if it is occasional and if the client leaves you quite a lot of freedom, I think it's very acceptable on an occasional basis. If it becomes um, routine, you're winding down, you're going some, some path, you know. But in your case, you know, you gave me no, no background details, you just gave me a small image. You give me some some a, a good degree of freedom, no no, like use this color I wanted like that, you know. So with that freedom, I could relate what your requirement was to my own idea. So I was I was inputting a lot into into what I did. Again, I would like to leave it occasional, but most important, going back to a more philosophical level, I think every artist should occasionally take a small break, you know look back and and sort of examine when am i going is this the right path you know should i reinvent myself should i try this should i try that because that that injects new cycles where you can explore and, and keep yourself relevant the worst thing is that you become too predictable every so often you have to wipe the slate clean you know turn it around and, and start something something new you you keep reinventing even if you know that that part could be dangerous, you could be wrecking what you did before, but you have to push through and believe in yourself. I think that's important. Henry Felzon, thank you so much for being on the interviewer. Thank you for bringing these thoughts and your creative output and expression to this show. I'm wishing you all the very best with your new ventures of linocut and mezzotint. And I look forward to seeing what you're going to be putting out there and surprising us with. Thank you very much. I hope I keep up to your expectations. <laughs> You've got to now, keep up to my now, expectations. No, with this interview, I'm going to work harder to keep them up. So there you go, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Nothing Henry. goes wasted. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you.